Hi, I'm Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. And make sure to check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And now, the learning begins in three, two, one. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and my special guest today is Dr. Jeff Zuhl, the author of numerous books on school leadership, including two of my personal favorites, What Connected Educators Do Differently, and Start With Why, Teach and Lead with Excellence. Both of those books are a collaborative effort with co-authors Todd Whitaker and Jimmy Casas, and you need to get both those books for your personal library. They are fantastic. I first met Dr. Zuhl during his time as an assistant superintendent in the Deerfield, Illinois School District in the Chicago area. He's truly one of the good guys out there as he helps lead the charge to create better schools for kids. So sit back and enjoy this special conversation with Dr. Jeff Zuhl. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Reimagined Schools podcast. My special guest today from the great city of Chicago, Dr. Jeff Zuhl. How are you, Jeff? I'm doing well, Greg. How are you doing? Good. You and I have had the opportunity to talk several times over the last few years. As a uh, guy that worked in Illinois for 15 years, we have that in common. And you retired uh, from the Deerfield School District here not too long ago. So what are you doing in retirement? How, how are things going with you? Yeah, things are going well. I retired from the full-time work about a year ago, last summer, and now I'm focusing on mainly writing and speaking and coaching a little bit, coaching leaders. And, you know, every day finds me, uh, if I'm not on the road somewhere, every day finds me spending some time writing. I'm always working on a book or two or articles or chapters and blog posts. And then uh, I go out and speak. Last week I was in Texas and where else was I last week? Texas and Virginia, doing some opening day kind of keynote presentations, and then do some kind of coaching of leaders and stuff like that. So trying to stay real busy, but also enjoying some flexible time. And I know you had a long and, and wonderful career in education. You worked in Georgia for a while. I know you've done some consulting work. You even worked here in my state of Kentucky, where I'm working now in higher ed. Um, so how many years total did you work in public education full time? And what are some of the takeaways that you would kind of reflect on that career? Uh, yeah, so, Greg, I, I did 35 years full time uh, and wrapped that up last summer, as I said. And uh, most of those were in public education. There were three years where I worked for a nonprofit, SREB, out of Atlanta. And that's when I did that work in Kentucky for, th for one full year in Kentucky. But uh, my work was really great. I'm somebody who enjoys new and different challenges. And that's sort of the beauty of, of education is although you're always a teacher or an administrator, you can move around to different roles. And so I taught elementary and middle and high school. And then as an administrator, did that same thing. I was an administrator at high school and then an elementary school and then a middle school and then became a central office administrator. So I think what uh, stands as kind of the key takeaway from all of that various work in education is 
one, our profession, I think, is a calling as much as it is a profession or a career. I think the people who are in this uh, profession uh, see it as a calling, the most excellent ones, not just a job. And, and we're givers, not takers. And uh, sometimes that's exhausting, but it's also so darn rewarding. And I think the other big takeaway, no matter what role I've had, is it's always about people. Uh, you know, I know my friend Todd Whitaker says it's people, not programs. The three most important words in real estate may be location, location, location. But the three most important words in our work is relationships, relationships, relationships. So it's always about uh, building and, and connecting and making those relationships with the kids, parents, and and sometimes overlook to each other, making sure that we are connecting with each other in the work we do. It's too hard not to uh, join forces and connect with each other. And you've been a very powerful voice uh, over the last many years throughout your career in education as a thought leader, as an author. Yeah, you've written or co-authored now probably more than a dozen books. You have another one coming out soon that I hope we get a chance to talk about. But kind of, how did you get into that realm of being an author and, and becoming a, a researcher in public education? Can you kind of walk me through that first book project and what your goal was? Sure. The first book project was Improving Your School One Week at a Time, which is still probably my favorite book. Uh, it's a little bit dated now, but uh, just the idea of it was a, a real joyful thing. And that kind of came about, I, was, I just met Todd Whitaker, my friend, and kind of, you know, probably my closest friend in the business at this point, one of my mentors. And uh, I was actually doing a project for him. It was a writing project for him. I was just helping him out with a study guide for one of his books. And, uh, and then in doing that, I kind of talked to him and the publisher back then, Bob Sickles of I in Education, which has become Routledge. And I said, hey, I'd really love to show you this idea I've got. And that book was about what we were doing really at my school uh, where I served as a middle school principal in Forsyth County, Georgia. And uh, it was really about the school as much as it was about anything I was thinking of, just the, what I thought the great things we were doing there and kind of uh, taking the reader through week by week that school year as my first year as a principal at Otwell Middle School in Georgia. So that was the first one. And uh just one thing leads to another after that. It had some mild success and kept going and kept throwing ideas out there for new books. And, and I always wanted to be a novelist, Craig. That was kind of my uh, original intent. I taught high school English and I wanted to be a novelist. I wrote one novel. It's embarrassing. I hope I burned it. I hope it's not still uh, in existence, but I never am going to be a novelist, but I feel like uh, my backup plan then was to write nonfiction books that I hope contribute in some small way to the education profession. And uh, so that's how it started back. I think the first book was 2006. You know, as an aspiring author myself, um, you know, I've sat down and tried on numerous occasions to write something for publication and it's not easy. So I have great admiration for people that can do that. Um, you know, what tips would you have for someone like me wanting to do that? Do you begin with a, a big idea or a big concept first and then take it piece by piece? Or, or what is your writing process and how do you go about getting those things done? Yeah, the, the, well, the process versus the idea maybe are two different things to me. And, and the ideas, those come kind of, yeah, I mean, you've got to have that idea, right? What, and I think anymore, there are so many books out there. Greg, that, you know, we, we're, we are all challenged to find a new approach to something. I, I typically write about school leadership or school culture, really, no matter what I'm writing. And there is so much out there on that now that I guess you have to find what's the original. Uh, there's always room for more, 
you know, obviously leadership is a huge, massive topic and we can always use more. I'm always reading as many leadership books as I can get my hands on, but what's that fresh approach, right? So if you're, if you're going to write a book about leadership or culture, it's just finding that, uh, new angle on it or new perspective. As far as the process, I've done, I've done two different ways. When I was my first couple of books and I'm, I'm kind of, I kind of marvel at this now that I did this, but it worked really, really well. I should keep doing it. Maybe I simply got up an hour earlier every day and, and I, and I wrote for one hour and I, and I knew I had that time because I just set my alarm clock for one hour early, which is pretty early <laughs> that I was already getting up for my, for my job as a principal and whatever I could get done in that hour that day, that's what I got done. But I did it every day. And then I would come on weekends maybe and do a little bit more. But Monday through Friday, I just wrote for one hour. Sometimes that was a paragraph. Sometimes that was a page. Sometimes that was just editing the day before. Um, but over the course of a year, I got a book done that way. And uh, But now my process is more, um, I would call it bursts. You know, So I set aside 12-hour days or I remember one day. I think I finished up my part of start right now on Labor Day weekend. And I think, uh, I think we were about ready to go. I just had to do some finishing up thing. And I think I spent about 70 hours on Labor Day weekend just doing that whole thing. So both ways have worked for me. I'm not sure which is better. I think it's a unique personal thing. But uh, coming up with those ideas sometimes comes to me when I'm running. I still try to run a little bit. And ideas for writing come to me while running. Uh, as far as book projects, as far as blog posts, those ideas, maybe, you know, you probably know too, just kind of come in the daily moments, right? You, you see something and it strikes you. I could, that could apply to education and teaching and learning and leadership. And so my blog posts tend to come about just through normal daily human interactions. And your most recent book that came out in January of 2018 is The Principled Principle, 10 Principles for Leading Exceptional Schools. And I know um, working with uh, both aspiring school principals and and current school leaders is something that's near and dear to your heart as someone that's worked uh, in that administrative role for many years. So uh, what was the goal and what is your mission in helping um, school leaders create those exceptional schools? Yeah, that book came about because, you know, I, I think obviously we all know that the most important variable on student learning is a classroom teacher. Um, but I think so, uh, obviously, the second one then is the principal, because the principal uh, has a huge amount of influence over the culture of that school and every teacher in that school. And I think it's such an important role, and I think it's proven right through some of the research I've seen with Marzano and others, the, the, the work of the school leader, uh, it may be indirect, but impacts positive or negative, you know, uh, the classroom teachers, and in turn, that leads to student learning. So Anthony McConnell, my co-author and I on that one, we've both been principals. We both kind of see that. I don't know that any job is the hardest job in education because they're also challenging hard. Uh, I taught first grade, taught 12th grade. Those were very hard. But being a principal can sometimes be a lonely and difficult job. And so we wanted to write about just that job, not leadership in general as much as the principal. And what you know, kind of just what what effective principles do you know, differently, to use Todd's words, that we've seen great principles doing. So uh, we kind of came up with 10 areas, and I, the, the, the areas are not even the principles necessarily, like we talk about the talent principle. And, and, and really, it's a little bit of a misnomer. It's not that the principle is the talent. The responsibility is talent, you know, selecting and hiring the best talent you can. But then what are your principles around that? And another one we call the priority principle. Managing all of your priorities is not the principle, but the, it's how you approach managing those priorities is the principle. 
how do you treat all of those? So we kind of took a look at each of those. And then the last thing we did at each chapter, we had 10 of them. And then we brought in 30 voices because for each chapter, we asked three principles that we kind of, not kind of, that we really, really, really respect around the country and tried to pick from all over and all different kinds of schools and people and have them weigh in on each of those 10 areas of responsibility. And, you know, like a lot of people, my two favorite books are probably um, What Connected Educators Do Differently and Start Right Now, which are collaborative projects in which you were a co-author with with Todd Whitaker, who you've mentioned a few times. And we all know Todd does amazing work, has a lot of books out there, expert in the field. But Jimmy Costas is someone that you've also connected with. And just one of the three of you to write something is wonderful. But when the three of you get together, it's almost a masterpiece. So can you kind of talk about the collaboration with those guys and those two books in particular? Yeah, those two books are a lot of fun. Um, Connected came about, uh, I was on a Voxer group with 10, 10, and this is funny, you know, I feel like Jimmy's almost my brother. We see each other so much. We work together so much. And, but I've only known him, gosh, now six or seven years. And I met him on Twitter. I always tell that story. That's kind of weird that we're so close now after uh, we never would have met had not been for Twitter. But I was on a Voxer group one time and I had, and, and Todd was not on this group, but Jimmy was with 10 other folks. And I, and I had this idea that I was going to approach Todd about. And I said, would anyone else want to do this? And it was the idea. And I had the title already. I wanted to call it What Connected Educators Do Differently. And I knew Todd well enough that that's kind of his brand, right? Uh, the differently thing. And, and I wanted to ask him almost for his permission in, in using that brand, but then also in writing the book with us. But on this Voxer group, I asked 10 people, anybody else interested with me and only one private Vox me. That was Jimmy. I said, Hey, let's, let's do it. And I don't, I don't know that he knew Todd quite as well back then. Of course, all three of us are buddies now and have done many things together. But so the two of us kind of arranged a call with Todd, pitched this idea. He immediately said yes. And then we, we called Routledge, which is, uh, we've, I've published with a bunch of different uh, publishing firms, but Routledge is one that Todd's done a lot of work with and, and me too. So we got a contract right away and then kind of set out just to get going and, and how we do that. I don't know. You know, so we all, we, we kind of outline the project. We kind of get ideas for the project. We kind of wrap up the ideas of how the 10 chapters or eight chapters or seven or however many they're going to be. I think in connected, it was eight. We kind of, we actually tweeted it out, like, you know, what do connected educators do differently? That's That started us on two different books now. You know, once we do, I think Jimmy was hosting uh, Iowa Ed Chat, and he tweeted it out a couple of times, what do connected educators do differently? And the responses we got to that question on Twitter uh, kind of became the basis for the structure of the book, the eight chapters that we came up with. And then it was just a matter of me tackling this one, Todd tackling this, Jimmy tackling this one and kind of dividing and conquering those. I think I might've written the introduction uh, to get it going. And then I share that with Jimmy and Todd. And then, and then from there on, we kind of separate who's going to do what. But uh, I think I usually take the first chapter, get us started. Yeah, and, and they're wonderful. And I highly recommend uh, all those books for our listeners out there, especially if you're in a school leadership role or hope to be one day. And, and you know, Jeff, we talked a little bit off air before we came on that, uh, there, there's a, a second phase to the Start Right Now book. So this is going to be an exclusive here for the listeners of the Reimagined Schools podcast. You know, so this is one that just Jimmy and I did together, and we just sent it off to the publisher. And this one's with Dave Burgess Consulting, and I just love uh, the work that Dave and Shelly are doing and really appreciate their support. But this came about, again, how these ideas come about. Jimmy and I were in Philadelphia about two years ago, 
and just talking and one thing led to another and and it was his idea he, he i don't even think he wanted to write a book but he said hey we should talk about the things we should stop in education and, and then i said hey let's write that book i think that's just as important and so jimmy and i worked on this and just submitted it and we called it stop right now and uh, we wrote about in sort of a random number but there's 39 stops that we came up with and i'm sure we could come up with 390 but these are ones, again, we tweeted this out and got some input. And then Jimmy and I worked on this for, for I don't know, the last six, nine months. And, and every day we'd write about something. I, I became really passionate about it. And I don't know that it has um, all the answers, but I think it's asking a lot of questions. Why do we keep doing these things that we're doing that we know are not getting the results they should. So, and I think it'll also be maybe a tiny bit controversial. I'm not going to say that everybody would agree with all 39 things that we talk about, but we talk about some serious things. Some are real small, some are kind of big that we should stop doing. And uh, as important as it, as it is to start doing new things, you know, in the recent years going one-to-one uh, and things like that, of course we should start doing that and, and join the 21st century and every child should have it a device of some sort in the classroom, in my opinion, around the country, that should be a non-negotiable. But then what are the things we should stop doing? And and we look at things like homework. Well, we just look at a whole bunch of things. And frankly, why are we limiting learning by, through the school calendar? And that's a big one. Most of the ones we write about in the book, we, we pick things that were um, cost neutral, like it won't take any more money to stop doing this. In some cases, it would even take less. But one that we talked about that probably would take some money, but in some concerted effort, but it's something I've been arguing about forever. Why do we maintain this traditional school calendar? We should stop limiting learning, uh, both by hours in the day and, and days in the year. Uh, uh, so anyway, so we're excited about it. We've just submitted it a couple of weeks ago, and hopefully that'll be out maybe maybe in December, January. Well, that's going to be a great one, and I look forward to seeing it. So remember that, folks. Be looking for Stop Right Now by Dr. Jeff Sewell and Jimmy Casas that will be coming out soon. So, And, you know, Jeff, that's, that's kind of perfect for this concept of reimagined schools because uh, we're trying to rethink and create better schools for kids. And you see a lot of stuff on social media. I find a lot of my talking points on Twitter like, like you do. And, you know, we've been – uh, talking for a long time about, you know, ditch that textbook, ditch that, ditch that homework. You know, these are probably some of those things in, in those stop areas that we need to be thinking about. So, but as we kind of think about reimagining schools, uh, based on your years of experience, your research, and when you go out and you talk to folks uh, whenever you speak, what are some of the big ideas or big takeaways when you think about we have to make schools look different in 2018? Yeah, you know, um, I, I I do think some of it is um, I, I do think some of it's around the schedule. I mean, I think schools should be twenty four seven, three hundred and sixty five days a year places, and I think at some point we've got to get to that. Uh, I mean, we're the last uh, uh, career that uh, is taking uh, extended summer breaks, and I think all of our parents are busier and busier and busier. And I think we've got to adjust to that and meet the needs of our parents and kids. But maybe it's a flexible thing. And maybe teachers come in at different times and maybe administrators come in at different times. And I think there's got to, we talk about flexible learning environments. I think that flexible learning environment uh, can, can also transfer to flexible learning times. 
what's convenient for kids and parents, especially as the kids get older in high school. You know, can those be 24-7 things where it's a true blended learning in every sense of the uh, word blended learning, not just device and traditional, but on-site and off-site? And, and how can we do do that? I think another thing I would look at is how can we um, – you know, we talk about authentic and relevant learning experiences. So to me, a lot of that is service learning and community learning. How can we get the learning to move beyond the four walls of the classroom as long as we have these four walls? How can we really do, you know, apprenticeship type learning activities and community service projects? Um, I, and the more I think we can collaborate as adults, you know, how can we, um, because I still see as great as we are doing and the changes we're making, we're making a lot of great, great changes in the schools I visit around the country. But I do see, honestly, still, it's like a lot of teachers go back to my room and do my thing. And uh, how can we collaborate? How can you and I break down that wall and do things together? Um, if you have 30 kids and I have 30 kids, that's a lot. One on 30, I think it's almost easier to go to two with 60 and, and tag team it and do things together. So I don't know more, you know, a little bit more with time flexibility, uh, a little bit more without in the community and service learning and real world. I hate the term real world because school is real world. But if we want to make it more real world, I think that's getting out in the community and, and out in the uh, career fields as soon as we can. And then uh, I think more professional collaboration. You know, one of the many areas of expertise that you have is professional development. So uh, if I could, I'd like to switch gears just a little bit on you. And if we could go back to when you were at Deerfield uh, serving in that role as, as a director of innovation or teaching and learning, you created uh, a few years ago a program called Deerfield University that I, I thought was just phenomenal. And, and basically what it was was uh, it was an, a, a district-wide professional development platform in which you use digital badges and you and I communicated and I looked at it. And again, I, I thought that concept of using digital ba badges was fantastic. Uh, can you talk about that type of professional learning uh, at the district level and, and where you see that going? Is, is it something that we're still talking about? Because I don't see a lot out there anymore on the digital badging platform. You know, I, and that's too bad. I think we should. And it kind of goes back to your other question, just what's another thing that should should change in education? And I think if we replace the word badging with credentialing, that's another thing that I think should change in public education. I think our kids should earn credentials uh, as much as they should earn a diploma. I'm not sure what a diploma represents, but I, I think I would know what uh, building an app credential and you've earned the credential that you can make, you know, build an app. So, um, so I, I would use the word bad for professional learning badging and credentialing maybe interchangeably. And so I think in our district, you know, with Deerfield university and it stood us well for a couple of years and, and then things changed, right. But it did, it did stand us well, especially when we were going into that one-to-one -one environment, but we kind of decided that here are the six areas that were most important to our district right then. And for each of those six areas, we kind of built badging opportunities or, you know, I would say credentialing opportunities. So we had a differentiation campus. We had a tech entity campus. We had a um, standards-based grading, reporting, and assessment campus, we called them. But within each of the six campuses, there were six badges you could earn. And if you earn that, it was kind of saying, hey, I have this skill, you know, 
Uh, and so there was always a learn, do, and show component to it. And, and almost always what works for kids works for teachers or vice versa. So maybe this is what we should be doing with kids. You know, they learn something, they do something with the learning, and then they show evidence of the learning. And it was as simple as that. And each kind of credential or badge maybe took an hour to learn. And then the do part kind of varied a little bit. Uh, you might have to go to your classroom and do this. Or you might have to go out and to a meeting or a professional learning event and do this. But whatever it was, there was a learn, do, show. And then you would submit evidence of your mastery of that skill. And, and again, I think that works for both classrooms and for professional learning. Uh, it, was, it was sort of... Um, and another thing, it was anytime, anywhere. So it was kind of an online platform and, and folks could go on there 24-7 and earn a badge. And there weren't huge carrots associated with it, nor were there any sticks associated with it. It was strictly voluntary. There were little incentives along the way, and some of the teachers were great. They, they got kind of gung-ho. And I think we had six teachers that first year um, earn all 36 badges, which, which we weren't anticipating. And uh, if, so that was one big incentive. If you, if you actually became a graduate uh, of Deerfield University, we brought you a, a T-shirt that said class of 2016 or whatever year it was and said Deerfield University. And then there was a prize. You won an iPad. So if you got all 36. But I think most folks didn't do it for the iPad. They, they had their own iPads probably already. They did it for the kind of fun of it and the challenge of it and and then again, they had these skills that they didn't have before. So we kind of made it up as we went along on our, on our own. Uh, Marcy Faust and I did a lot of those. And Amy Rubin, another person in the uh, teaching and learning department. So it wasn't some, you know, company uh, created thing. It was just us doing it. So it was the best effort we could do over the course of a summer. But I think it was a good start. And I think it has potential. I think we should be doing that in our classrooms too. How can we uh, provide our kids with credentials? you know, proof that they have earned, you know, this credential by showing their skill in, in specific areas. And I thought it was just a, a wonderful uh, forward thinking idea there and a great way to engage your, your faculty members in, um, you know, some of those tasks that you had designed for them to get their credentials. So kudos to you. I was a big fan early on. And, uh, I, you know, Jeff, I've always kind of wondered, Teachers can get a, a – they can become Google-certified innovators. You can become an Apple-distinguished educator. I wonder if we'll ever get to the point where districts will create their own platform and come up with their own criteria and kind of go through that process. And I would think there would be great value in being a, you know, whatever you want to call it in that school district and, and maybe even provide some, some financial assistance if that's what it's going to take to get people involved. But – um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think you're spot on, Greg. And, you know, I, I'm conflicted about this a little bit. You know, I've got a doctoral degree. I, I got a master's degree and a specialist degree and then a doctoral degree, right? So I obviously value that uh, to some extent, but I'm also going to be real transparent and honest and say, I'm not sure how much of the data, you know, and those are three big programs that took me a lot of time and a lot of money. And my district didn't pay for that. I paid for that all myself. And I spent tons of hours on that. And could I have become a better professional educator if, if a district was really designing stuff? Uh, you know, I wouldn't have that doctoral degree, I guess, for what that's worth. But I think I could be uh, learning a whole lot of more practical, relevant 
honest to goodness things that would help me as a teacher, as a principal, as an assistant principal, as an assistant superintendent. So I don't know. That's going back to your question again. I keep going back to your previous question, what, what I would change in education. It, it, I might sound like a hypocrite because I've got that doctoral degree, but I'm not sure that that is, should be uh, what differentiates an educator in terms of the pay scale. Uh, as much as I valued that time and I did have a cohort of fellow learners who I you know, connected with, I don't know that that says I should make you know, $3,000 more this year because I got this degree. But, but maybe you know, we need to be creating that, on, that learning, that professional learning experiences where we do. Uh, we invest our money in creating those instead of investing it in sending teachers to grad school. And then we uh, invest that money in providing them with really, really great learning experiences that translate directly to what they're doing in their jobs. And, and then when they get these credentials, we monetize it or incentivize it for that, just like we would for a master's degree or a specialist degree or a doctoral degree. So I believe there's a lot of potential for change in that area. And I think it could, uh, could be positive change for uh, growth and improvement of all the folks who work in schools. And as we kind of circle back to to what you're doing uh, with the books and, and speaking, uh, you have uh, formed what great educators do differently, and you organize numerous conferences throughout the country. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, that, so that is something else I sort of decided I would focus more on that, you know, and, and, uh, and retire just a tiny bit early. Uh, well, 35 years is a long time. But uh, so, and Jimmy and Todd and I started that. and so those have been fantastic events. We just finished one, I think two weeks ago in Virginia, in Bealton, Virginia. And we had about 400 educators there. And that tends to be about the normal size of these. They're, they range from 250 to 500. Uh, and I'm really passionate about it because it's partly because of the presenters we have there, but it's probably more about who attends them. These are people who are just really passionate about education. So we usually have about seven or eight of our colleagues presenting. Uh, people who presented a lot of these are Tom Murray, Joe Sanfilippo, Pernille Rip, Kayla Delzer, Lavana Roth. Um, uh, guys recently had Brianna Hodges and uh, Katrina Keen at one. Um, so just a great roster of people who we, who we love. I think we've had 40 different people speak at one of our events and they tend to be uh, either one day or two day. We started off there always two day ones, and now we're doing a lot of one day events. And we also moved from just kind of hosting these on our own and seeing if people would come to now school districts are kind of reaching out to us and saying, can we host one? So the last four or five we've done have been school districts. It's almost been they've invested in this as their as their PD, like the one in Virginia recently. They also invite outside people to attend, and that helps them defray the cost, because it does cost money to, to host these, obviously, with the food and, and, and paying the travel and hotels and everything. So, um, but this is, so we've got, uh, I think we've got one coming up October 13th in New Jersey in Steve Santilli's district. Steve and Jimmy and I started talking about that, so we're excited about that. That's a Saturday one. And again, the people who come on Saturday are pretty passionate people, so it's always a really great, great experience. And then we've got one November 1st in Cypress, Fairbanks, Texas, and that's just outside of Houston. It's a huge district. And we've actually uh, 
this will be our third one in Cypress Fairbanks. Uh, we did two last year, and we'll do two again this year, and the first one is November 1st. And again, that day has always been phenomenal, just uh, just great speakers, great attendees, and a great facility in Cypress Fairbanks. It's I don't know if you've ever been in that area, but the uh, facilities are amazing. It's connected with the football stadium. The football stadium looks like uh, a mini professional uh, football stadium. But So I don't know, the passion that... Uh, uh, the people bring to those events has been great. The feedback we've gotten has been fantastic. And then one more we're doing. This is the first time we've ever done this, Greg. It's September 14th, and this will be a smaller scale one. This one's um, focused for leaders. Now, not just administrators, but anybody who's in a leadership role. And I think a lot of times we overlook the classroom teachers being a leader. So we hope a lot of classroom teachers will be there. But we're calling it the first uh, What Great Educators Do Differently Leadership Summit. It's a one-day event in Des Moines, Iowa, September 14th. So if anybody's in that area, it's just, and this one's just me, Todd, and Jimmy. So the three of us, first time we've ever done this. And we're just going to talk about leadership. In the morning, we'll do a lot of the talking. In the afternoon, we'll do a lot of facilitating of the learning. And I think it'll be a good day. We're excited about it. Well, Jeff, I can't thank you enough for being here. I know your time's valuable and you have a lot going on, but you've always been one of those guys that I've looked up to. You've had a wonderful career. And uh, be sure to to get any of the books that uh, are authored or co-authored by Jeff Zuhl because he's the real deal. And, and, Jeff, not to embarrass you, but you're also one of the really good guys out there in the field. And I'm looking at one of my tweets right now that you sent out an hour ago, and you do this a lot. It simply says, work hard, have fun, be nice today. And I, I enjoy getting those. I get them on a regular basis. And I just appreciate all you've done for P12 education. Well, Greg, the feeling is mutual, first of all. And, and uh, I appreciate and respect all that you've done. And as you transitioned recently into the new role, following that good work, too. But, uh, yeah, I always say whenever I'm speaking, the first two things I do every day when I wake up is I read a Joel Osteen um, Bible verse. And then I tweet out, work hard, have fun, be nice today. A reminder to myself as much as anybody else who might see that. But just to, to I think of all the other things we talk about, if we've got schools in which kids are are working hard and having fun and being nice to each other and the adults every day. And if we've got a school where uh, every adult in the building is working hard, having fun and being nice to each other and the kids every day, uh, that that's that goes a long way. We've got a pretty darn good school if we've got that happening every day. Yeah, well, thanks for your time. And, and folks out there listening, be sure to follow Jeff on Twitter. It's Jeff underscore Zool. Uh, be sure to check out his books. And as always, thanks for listening to the Reimagined Schools podcast. And always do what you can in your school and community to create better schools for kids.